Well, we are going to read a very powerful <laughs> passage of Scripture this morning. I know they're all powerful, um, but this is one of those that stops you in your tracks and wrestles you to the ground until you submit sort of passages. At least that's the effect that it's having on me. Uh, we're doing this praying house-to-house thing. And we have one more today. We're going to talk about God is love. Now raise your hand if you knew that, if you've heard that. God is love. Okay. So it's old news. You guys already know about it. All right. See you all next week. No, it is in a sense old news. Um, because many of us here in this church grew up in church. So we've heard about God being loving and that God is love. So what we're going to do is... Try to answer three related questions to that. Uh, first, so what? So what? Second, what does that even mean anyway? It sounds so Disney. God is love. What does it even mean? We're going to try to give it some teeth this morning. And how should we respond? So God is love. Yes, we know. So what? What does that mean? And how should we respond? That's what we're after this morning. So we need to pray. As always, we need God's help. And then after we pray, I'll ask you to stand up and we'll read together. But first, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are love. Thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you for bringing us here this morning to hear from you in your word. I pray that you would do that miracle this morning. That miracle where we read your scripture and we actually hear your voice and we are enabled to see you clearly, and are unable to respond. Please perform that miracle in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you would stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Near the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. It's right before 2 John. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Let's read. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we're so glad that we have God's word to read. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So God is love. Our first question, so what? What does that matter to you in your real life, in your pew, in your car driving home, 
in your family, in your workplace, what does that matter, that God is love? Well, obviously I think it matters quite a bit, or we wouldn't be spending so much time on it. Look back at verses 7 and 8, and let's see why this is so important. Verse 7 says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And then over in verse 12 it says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He's given us His Spirit. Because God is love, it is impossible to know Him and not love. Did you get that from from the verse there? Did you see it? Something about God being love makes it impossible to know Him and not love. Another way to put it, it's impossible to not love and yet know God. To distill it even further, and what I'm going to prove to you, it's impossible to be a Christian and not love. Not possible. That's what the scripture teaches right here. So, frogs jump. Carpenters work with wood. Christians love. Basketball players play basketball. Christians love. Kids make messes. Christians love. NASCAR fans cut the sleeves off their t-shirts and wear them around. Christians love. <laughs> no offense, I have a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. <laughs> now, is that true? Can you make that jump from no God? If you don't know God, wait a second. Can you make that jump from it's impossible to know God and not love to it's impossible to be a Christian and not love? Is it the same thing? It's clearly very important that we understand what this word no means. So look in your Bibles and look where that word no is. And we're going to try to figure out what it means. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. That word that's translated know in our English language means basically to come to recognize. To come to perceive who someone is. So it's the same kind of word you might use if you were in the grocery store and you saw somebody there and... They call your eye and suddenly you realize they were familiar and you looked at them and then you come to recognize them. They were someone you went to high school with or something. You come to know them. That's the kind of word this is talking about. Come to know God. It's different from knowing of them, hearing of them. Come to know Him. It's that moment when you come to recognize this God I've been hearing about is God. And you come to recognize his glory and his preeminence and his, his godness, that he is God. Some of us, I think, know God like we know George Clooney. Who here knows George Clooney? Knows who he is? Heard of him. You know, he's a famous actor, a celebrity. We sort of know him from a distance. And I think some of us know God in that same way. We, we know God like we know George Clooney. You know, maybe we think well of him and enjoy his work, but we don't really know him. 
We've not come to the point where we recognize that he's not just some distant celebrity being or some fantasy being. He's a present God who's actually seeking us out through Christ. There's a moment of recognition that comes. It's that moment of new birth through Christ. And I've been here long enough and I've said enough things that I think you know that I have never just assumed that you are Christians. You know, I came in from the outside a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I, I didn't know your whole background and I've learned a lot about, you know, gotten to know you. And, and um, But when I got here, I didn't just assume you were all Christians because you're members of Doolin's Grove at the Christian church. In fact, I suspect that many on our roles are not Christians. And I'm not alone. I know you hear some punk kids say that and you dismiss it. But I think you probably respect Billy Graham a lot more than me. And he's quoted as saying that he suspects probably around 80% of our church membership is not Christian. So Billy Graham said it, not Matt Broadway. So it gives us cause to take a look and see. And this is a good passage to use. Because it can get confusing. But love is a very, very good test. It's a very good test. I've told you before, I worked one time at a uh, warehouse with a bunch of Pentecostal guys. And I have nothing against Pentecostal guys. I think, you know, they're our brothers, they're our sisters in Christ. But they are very into the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying. You know, that's a whole other sermon altogether. But they asked me one of the first days, they, they knew I said I was a Christian, and they said, well, have you spoken in tongues? And I was a Baptist boy, you know, a scared little Baptist boy. I didn't, like, no, I don't, that seems scary to me. I don't even know what he means. But the thing about that test, speaking in tongues, is you can kind of listen to what I'm saying. I'm not trying to degrade anything, but you can kind of fake that. You can, you can fake it. There's things you can fake. There's a lot of things you can fake. I've told you before, I can fake I can fake putting on a caring face. I mean, you, you can fake singing with a worshipful attitude. There's things you can fake. Love is a good test because that's really, really difficult to fake. The kind of love we're about to define. This kind of love really can only come about as a fruit of the Spirit. So it's a really good test. And I think it's healthy to periodically just take a look at ourselves. Make sure we're not just going with the flow of religious activity. Make sure we really know God. Make sure we really are Christians, followers, devoted to Jesus Christ, and not just religious adherents. So this is healthy for us. Maybe not fun, but healthy. So, so what? What does it matter that God's love? Well, it matters quite a bit. Because the fact that He is love... And the way that he is loved makes it impossible to both know him and not love. So we try to figure out what no means. We need to figure out what love means. This is the second question. What does this even mean? Now I want you to really think. Maybe even write it down. How would you define love? How would you define love, really? If you're a little, if a little child comes up and says, I heard the word love today. What is love? What would you tell them? I mean, we talk about it all the time. We long for it. We sing about it. We watch movies about it. I heard that, that little 
nine-year-old boy Justin Bieber singing about it the other day. What was that song? What was he saying? He's very passionate about it. I just, I need somebody to love. You heard that song? I just need somebody to love. Where is she? I need somebody to love. And I'm like, what do you even think you mean by that? What, what do people even mean when they're talking about it? Most of the time in our songs, our music, and in our movies, it's romantic love. But there's other types of love, right? What in the world is it? What does it mean that God is love? And what does it mean when he tells us to love? And that you can't know him and not love? Is it Justin Bieber love? Is that what he's talking about? What do you think? Well, love is a very difficult word to define. Um, if you look it up, there's like, if you go to dictionary.com, they'll have 14 different versions, different definitions of what it might mean when someone says love. So we never know that we're both mean the same thing. So I think the best thing to do is just scrub your mind clear of any preconceived notions of what love is. And let's just look at this passage and try to figure out what John means by it. Because if it's hard for me to know that you and I are talking about the same thing, how much harder is it to know that John, so many years ago in a whole different culture, whole different language is talking about the same thing we're thinking about. Okay, so you with me? We're just going to scrub our minds clean of whatever we think love is. And we're going to look into this passage and try to figure out from the context what John's talking about. So, let's start in our quest to define love in verse 9. Right after that really terrifying statement in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then let's look at these next three verses and try to figure out what do you mean? Verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested or made visible in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You guys are going to learn a big theological word, propitiation. It's one of those words I've forgotten from seminary. Propitiation means the satisfaction of wrath. So basically, God had every reason to just give us wrath. We've rebelled against him. We've lived for ourselves instead of him. We've worshipped ourselves instead of him. We're sinners. He's pure and holy. It was just for him to be wrathful toward us. But through Christ, he satisfied his wrath. That's what, that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's why it was such an unpleasant affair. He was absorbing God's wrath on our behalf. That's propitiation. Okay? You learned all kinds of stuff this morning, right? And then in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let's try to dissect this a little bit. In verse 9, By this... The love of God was manifested or made visible in us. By what? By the fact that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you recognize that verbiage? God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. It's the gospel. This is the gospel. So... As we try to fill out in our minds what he means by love, what he means by love appears in us, manifested in us by the gospel. 
The love John's talking about appears in us by the gospel. Can you see that there in verse 9? By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So this love appears in us by the gospel. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, it's the gospel. God sending Jesus to take care of our sin problem. That's the good news. It's the gospel. So the love John's talking about appears in us by the gospel. The love John is talking about is contained within the gospel. You see that in verse 10? In this is love. In what? In this act that God loved us even when we didn't love him and sent Jesus. In that is love. The love John's talking about is in that. It's like that. The gospel was, was a gift package and inside is the love that John's talking about. Are you with me? I know this is hard. This is hard. But stick with me. You can do it. Except for the fact that that was actually decaf coffee in the pot this morning. Those of you who drank it. Your brains may have tricked you into thinking it was caffeinated, but it was decaf. But you can do it. You can stick with me here. The love John is talking about appears in us by the gospel. is contained within the gospel. It's like this language here. It's like, you remember the Trojan horse story? From uh, whatever that's from, I don't really know a lot about it, I just remember it. <laughs> I'm definitely not some Greek scholar guy, but I remember it. Uh, I think it was the Greek army, maybe, the history guy's shaking his head. They trick whoever it is they're trying to defeat into accepting this big wooden horse into their camp. And then they all go to bed, and next thing they know, in the middle of the night, all these Greek soldiers pop out of the horse and open the gates so the army comes in and destroys them. Well, why are you telling me this random story about Greek mythology? It's kind of like that. It's, it's like the gospel comes into our life, and within it pops out this love that John's talking about. And it changes everything. Okay, so the love we're talking about, it appears in us through, by the gospel, it's contained within the gospel. And then verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, if He loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. So this love appears in us in the gospel, is contained within the gospel, and it seems from verse 11 to flow from us through the gospel. That's what he's referring back to. If God so loved us, if he loved us like this, so we ought to love. We ought to love in the gospel way that he loved us. Okay, I know this is hard. So I'm going to try to make this less um, abstract and a little bit more concrete and practical. Boiled down, it seems to be that what John is saying is that the way we are toward each other should be the gospel. It should, in both flavor and function, be like the gospel. In both form and function, our love should be like the gospel. So the flavor part of this, what is the flavor, the form of this love that God has poured out to us that we're supposed to then pour out to others? Well, let's look back. It's, for one thing, it's deeply sacrificial. God didn't just send a minion. He sent his only begotten son. 
It was costly for God to love us like that. So the flavor of this love is sacrificial. Secondly, God took all the initiative. Notice in verse 9, He comes down. He loves us this way so that we could live through, through Jesus. But before that, we were dead. So it's not like we reached up and said, God, come save us. We weren't reaching up. We were doing this. We were corpses. So God took all the initiative to come to people who really could never even lift up to him for help. To save them. So the flavor of this love that we're commanded to have is sacrificial and it takes initiative. It looks to the needs of others and it reaches into that situation. It is unconditional. This is probably the best part of the whole thing. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He took the initiative to sacrifice so that we could have everything while we weren't even loving him. Let that sink in. This love, gospel love, has nothing to do whether the the object is loving toward you. It has nothing to do with how lovely the object is. We were enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. We were enemies of God. And yet even when we were actively not loving Him, He did everything to love us. This is the kind of love that John's talking about. I don't think that's the kind of love that Justin Bieber is talking about. I don't know why I'm picking on poor little Justin. But that love's all about, oh, you're beautiful, and oh, you make me feel so great, and I'm going to buy you gifts. This love is like, oh, you're hideous. You're like a corpse and you hate me, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to totally transform everything about you. It's different. It's different. Gospel love is different. The last thing about the flavor of this love, the form of it, is it's merciful. Remember that word propitiation? We weren't just like dead men and women. We were men and women who had earned God's wrath by our sin. Again, by, by living life as though he didn't even exist and that we were the center of the earth. And again, this gospel love, he says, even though you have done everything to deserve my wrath, I'm going to give you love. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have based on the fact that God is love. We've experienced that love from God, and so we should love others in the same way. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told about there was a guy who had accrued a very large debt, and he came to the person he owed all the money to, and in that society, he could have been enslaved or put to death, and he said, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. And this this merciful guy says, okay, I'll forgive your debt. So then the guy who owed so much money gets up and he's so relieved and he goes out and someone comes to him who owes him money and says, I don't have it. Can you give me more time? And he's totally unmerciful. He says, no, pay him now or else. So the original guy who forgave the huge debt hears this and says, you won't even forgive his little debt after I forgave you all of this? Depart from me. That parable's talking to us. We... We have been forgiven all this. We have received all this love from God, and yet we're going to withhold it from each other. When we see the ugly side of each other, we're not going to be merciful. 
Even though God has been so merciful to us, in light of the darkest aspects of us, there's darkness in your heart and in your past that only you know. God knows, and he still loved you like this. And we would withhold that kind of love from other people. Far be it from us to withhold that kind of love if we've experienced it from God. The one who knows God sees people as fellow debtors who are screwed up but extremely valuable to God and loved by God. The kind of love we're supposed to have supposed to have that flavor to it. It's also supposed to have the same function as the gospel. It's supposed to have the same form and flavor as the gospel. It's also supposed to have the same function as the gospel. Notice what God's love does for the recipients in this passage. In verse 9, he, he does all this. He sends his son so that they might live. In verse 10, he does all this and he sends his son so they might be forgiven. <laughs> So the question here is, I assume everyone here came in thinking they're pretty loving. I don't think most of us go around thinking, I'm just a jerk, but I'm cool with it. We all pretty much think that we're loving people. Ask yourself this question. What's the result of your love toward other people? Are the people in your circle of friends closer to God through Jesus Closer to life and forgiveness because of their relationship with you? Because that's love. Is your spouse, your kids, are they closer to God through Jesus because of their relationship with you? Are they tasting life and forgiveness more deeply because of their relationship with you? Because that's the kind of love we're called to. The one who knows God sees people as potentially vibrant and free in Christ. And it works and it tries to serve in such a way that that person can experience it. This isn't sentimental affection. This is gospel. In fact, you could almost just substitute the word gospel for the word love here. Maybe we should just use gospel as a verb. Because we shouldn't just coddle our children or discipline our children. We should gospel them. We should love them in such a way that they, they get to God through Christ. We shouldn't just be polite and bear with our friends. We should gospel them. We should love them sacrificially in such a way that they see the gospel. And in such a way that it moves them toward God through Jesus. Now let's back up and put it a different way in case I've lost anyone at this point. I have a working definition of love that I used with the youth when we did basic training. Uh, we talked about the great commandments, and one of those was uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And how we defined it then was love, in that sense, was to live for the benefit of someone else. That's the way husbands and wives should love each other. You're living for the benefit of your spouse, not for your own benefit anymore. You're living for the benefit of them, for the good of someone else. So let's just take that working definition. If loving means living for the good of someone else, what is the good of someone else? Think of the person you love most. It might be your spouse, your kids, whoever it is. Think of the person you love most. 
What is the best result that you could bring about in their life through your love? That they feel comforted, maybe? That they feel valued? What is, what is the, the highest, the ultimate good for this person that you love so much? That they are happy? That they don't experience pain? Is that the highest good? What if you gave them all of that? What if you gave them all those things? You shielded them from pain. You, you gave them education or what if it's the kids or whatever it is. But then one day, they get really sick. And they pass away. And they lived a life that was comfortable and they felt valued and loved and cared for. But they never, ever came to know God through Jesus Christ. And you knew God through Jesus Christ. Did you love them? It might seem loving to... It might seem loving if I gave you a piece of gum. Unless you were actually starving and I also had a ham sandwich in my hand. And then it's cruel to say, here's some gum. You see what I'm saying? It's loving for me to give you a hug. It's a loving gesture. Unless you're choking, and I know the Heimlich maneuver. But instead, I just give you a hug. And then it's cruel. The hug can be cruel. It's loving to fluff someone's pillows, make them comfortable in bed. Unless that person is, is dying of cancer and you have the cure. And then that pillow fluffing is cruel. It can seem so loving the way we we relate to each other. The way we're kind to each other and we put on the nice Christian face when we see each other. And the way we're sweet and we never cuss at work so people know, you know, we're Christians and we don't cuss. That can seem nice. It can seem loving. Unless they don't know God through Jesus and they're going to go to hell and you know better. And then it's cruel. This is the part that has wrestled me to the ground in some specific areas. And I'm maybe it's doing the same for you, for some specific people in your life. Real quickly, the third question, though, we need to get to this, is how should we respond? Well, let's keep in mind what his whole point in writing this was. In verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. In verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, like if he loved us like this, then we ought to love one another. His purpose, what he wanted his people to walk away from reading this with was, let's love one another. So real quickly, how should we respond? And you could go, you could go a couple of ways with responding to this. You could go out of here and just become the really weird guy who is always nonstop talking about Jesus. And people can be turned off by it and think, what has gotten into him? He's never talked about Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, he's got a Jesus fish on his forehead. And that's all he's talking about. Is that what John wants us to do? I don't think so, because that seems unnatural to go from here with that action item on our to-do list. I've got to talk to everybody I see about Jesus. Now follow me. I'm not saying that that's bad. You've got to stick with my line of thinking here. But it just doesn't seem like 
He's encouraging us to do anything that is at all unnatural. On the contrary, he's saying, you know God. And those who know God, they do this. They love. In fact, if you don't, then you don't even know him. So he's not encouraging us to do anything unnatural. He's setting us free to do what's in us already because we know God. So I think there's really only three things we need to do. I think the first thing we need to do is just be honest with ourselves. Some of you may have something welling up in you that says, no, I'm not even thinking about this. I've been at church my whole life. Sure, I don't have any concern for for the soul of the people around me, but I'm not even going to think about it. I think the main thing we need to do is just be honest with ourselves and figure out. Ask God to help you. Say, God, search my heart. Show me where I am with this. Do I know you? If so, am I loving people? Because there's two... There's two options here. I know I'm going over, but I've got the face mic and you'd have to wrestle it off my face. It's not. There's two possibilities here. For those of you who are sitting here thinking, oh man, I'm not loving. Does that mean I don't know God? Maybe. It could mean that or it could mean you're not abiding in God. Look at one more verse within this section here. In verse 13. By this, by if we love like God loved us, if we gospel people, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. I think there's two possibilities. I think you can be a churchy person but never a Christian. You can know a lot about God but never know God and for that reason never love people in a gospel way. I think there's another possibility. I think you can be a Christian who drifts from God and is no longer abiding in Him. In that case, you need to come back. And this is a a warning, a wake-up call. I'm not just trying to let you off the hook. I think this because, for one thing, John wrote this book to Christians. So, apparently, there are seasons in life when Christians need to hear this message. Love people because you're Christians. That's what Christians do. And if that's unclear to you, it's okay. Talk to me after the service. Don't just push the questions out of your mind. Seek it out. Pray through it. Okay? First thing we need to do is just be honest with ourselves. The second thing we need to do is just receive the gospel. In both of these situations, I think the second thing to do is just receive the gospel. Just look back at who you are without Christ. How screwed up. How, how godless. And think, man, God did everything. For me. Yes, I'm imperfect. Yes, I'm growing. But he did everything for me. Or you might need to realize you've never received the gospel. You've been trying to earn your salvation through being morally upright. You've never just received the new life and the cleansing and the propitiation. Just be honest with yourself and receive the gospel. Again, if you're just like, I still don't get it. Come talk to me after the service, please. I would love nothing more than to talk to you about this. And the third thing, be honest with yourself, receive the gospel, and just be honest with other people. I don't think that that Christians need to be out there in some weird, unnatural way on the prowl to try to love people and gospel people. I think it's natural, and we just need to be honest with people. I mean, the man, the world would... Change. Charlotte would change if we all just did these three things. 
If we were just normal people, real normal people out there in the world who love Jesus. Not, not weird, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you listen to me about Jesus, people. But people who actually love Jesus. And, and therefore, when, when they see you, they don't just see some stranger. They see someone who God really loves and died for. And they'll love you like that. And it's genuine. You, you see what I mean? It is, there's a way to do this that's genuine. And it's letting the gospel just well up in us and flow out through us. Versus a way to do it that's fake. And it skips the first two steps. And just tries to go tell people about Jesus when in reality you don't even care about Jesus. That does great damage to, to the gospel. Because people who don't know God through Jesus, they can sense people who are not genuine a mile away. And they're like, well, if you're having to pretend, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm saying that because I don't want you going out of here just trying to act like, okay, i got to act like I love people. Now just be honest with yourself. Receive the gospel and then just be honest with people. God will work this fruit out into your lives if you know him through Christ. Let's pray. Father, oh, I, need, I need your Holy Spirit to keep working in our hearts after this text because there's so many dangers. I pray for those in here who are Christians. Lord, make them secure in their salvation. I don't want any Christians walking out of here terrified that maybe they're not because they're imperfect. We're all imperfect. Instead, let them look into your word and see the truth that you're working out your salvation in them. And maybe they're just not abiding in you. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are not Christians. Don't let them off the hook. As they trace this line of conviction, let them see that, that they don't know you. Lord, all this is miraculous. All this requires you working in our hearts. But I pray that you would set us free. That we would know you. That we would receive your gospel love. And that we would gospel love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray.